millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, last weekend, the Bishop of Kerry, Roy Brown, wrote a pastoral letter that was read out at churches in the diocese. In it, he said the area is facing into further retirements from a number of priests, which will leave the diocese with major challenges. Retirement age for priests is 75. And already there are 15 parishes in the Kerry Diocese without priests. And the diocese itself covers County Kerry quite obviously, but also parts of North Cork. This, I suppose, is the latest manifestation of a huge fall-off in the numbers of priests available to serve their communities. Now, in the last census, a total of 77% of Irish people identified themselves as Catholics. And, you know, as we know, we've had a large influx of people into the country over the last 20 years. But of those who weren't born here, huge numbers of them also uh, described themselves as Catholics. For instance, about 70% of the Polish community did. So there is still a huge base for Catholicism. I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, we're all under the impression there's been a huge fall off. But if you look at it from those uh, numbers, there's there's a fall off in the practices of Catholics by all means, no question about that. But just purely in those numbers, it still is a major chunk of the population. But there is definitely an issue over the number of priests that are required to serve that congregation in the manner to which over decades, people have become accustomed. Some of you may have seen the documentary on RT television recently with Ardlow Hanlon. I think it's called the, the Last Priest in Ireland, and uh, that touched on some of this. And I, I think it, it was very interesting. I'm of a similar age to Ardlow Hanlon myself, and he said, I th- "If I'm correct, he said the year he was born, something like fourteen hundred um, young men were studying to be priests, and now." I'd say we're down into double figures perhaps this year or thereabouts. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Anyway, uh, we know there's been obvious decline in religious observance. We know the whole issue around the abuse, how it affected the Catholic Church and um, people's attitudes towards it. But still, as I say, it's still a, a major part of the lives of so many people. So where is all this going and what can be done? Joining me to discuss it is Father Roy Donovan from the Association of Catholic Priests. Roy, you're very welcome. Uh, thank you very much, Mick. Roy, first of all, if you could deal with Kerry, just because it was in the news. Um, that uh, pastor letter from Bishop Brown, um, was it unusual or is Kerry a particular case because it's a large rural county? I think a number of dioceses have been doing what Kerry are doing Maybe Kerry are a little bit more advanced than many others in terms of that they they have so many priestless parishes. And as they said in the pastoral, they've been going at this now for the last, I I don't know, seven or eight years. And um, they've been dealing with the challenges. So it's not new. But of course, the letter does present a lot of challenges um, how to go forward as you have already said in your introduction with priests getting less 
getting very busy, getting much older, and yet there is a fairly um, good enough um, population of, of Catholics there still. So there's a very big challenge in how to go, how to manage this change. And I suppose that's his primary concern, Ray Brown, is how to manage um, into the future and, and to manage with the resources that he's got. Yeah, and I suppose there are a number of aspects to that. And um, one uh, he, he touched on, I think, um, was perhaps a, a different or a greater role for the laity, and he mentioned pastoral leaders. I think he said there was 26 in the Kerry Dice. What exactly are pastoral leaders, Roy? Pastoral leaders, um, they have been doing that in Limerick Dice's. It puts on, they put on a, a two-year course of training and formation, and they invite all the parishes to put forward somebody from the parish who might be interested in taking more responsibility and taking leadership, and they're given the resources and the support um, required to make them into a leader. And um, so um, th that's, again, Kerry are probably ahead of a lot of other dioceses in doing that kind of training. And the hope would be that they would take over some form of leadership then in the parishes. We're doing a bit of it as well here in our own diocese. And um, it's it's very challenging because they don't know what to do and a lot of the priests don't know what to do with them either, you know. So it's also new how to, there are no structures there to bring about this new form of, uh, as, as he talks about in the pastoral, about this co-responsibility, co-leadership. Um, it's all very new to everyone. But in general terms, would it be fair to say that the general idea of it is that they would be there to share the burden of what's required of priests traditionally, but um, doing those duties that perhaps uh, it would be decided didn't have to be done by priests. Yeah, and I think, especially for the priestless parishes, maybe they might become leaders of pastoral councils. Maybe they might take over doing funerals, um, baptism teams, um, they might do um, maybe the communion programs and the confirmation programs because these are a huge, um, heavy um, burden on a lot of priests, um, you know, preparing uh, the young people and preparing the, the parents and providing programs of, I suppose, more involvement and participation in the sacraments. So um, a parish would be very lucky to get hold of one of them if they were willing to... Um, take over doing the communion and the, the confirmation programme. And in your experience, is that kind of system, I'm, I'm thinking in particular, perhaps maybe going back a while, in places like the developing world, is it something that would have been used there? I mean, what I, I suppose I'm getting at is, would we have come from a very conservative structure in that respect, whereby traditionally there wouldn't have been that kind of role for the laity, but perhaps in other countries there would have been? Yes, you're correct there. Because we've had adequate numbers of priests um, and every parish maybe had two or more priests and um, the priests took over all these kind of tasks and ministries and it kept people very passive and people didn't have to do anything only turn up and now we're asking people to get involved and there's no tradition much or culture of 
how people are to take up leadership in parishes or how they are to um, become more involved. Uh, most people would know how to do that or how to go about it because it's not there. And also, um, there's a, a very important report uh, that has come out there recently. Um, as you know, where the, the Pope Francis has brought the church into a new phase, what's called the synodal pathway, which is basically that we're all meant to walk together on the one road, talk to one another and listen to the Holy Spirit and discover how we're going to be the new way of being church. So that's that's here for the future. And we had the Universal um, International Synod there in Rome. Ireland is preparing for one for next year, 20, 2025. So we're caught between two pathways at the moment. But the steering uh, committee set up by the bishops, they have employed professional people to do a survey and to do focus groups and to get an honest assessment of what's going on on the ground among lay people and among priests. And this report is 84 pages. It's a very honest report from people on the ground as to where they're at and what's needed uh, to go forward. And some of the things that's been said there is that a lot of priests were lukewarm towards the Sindal pathway. And Ray Brown says in his pastoral that we're going to move forward in a Sindal uh, way with people. So priests haven't been trained in the Sindal pathway of team uh, collaboration with one another and with people. And so these 26 pastoral workers, um, it's, it's a very big challenge for us priests to change our ways so that they can be co-leaders and co-collaborative. Uh, we work in that kind of way. So um, this report or this of 84 pages is going to be very helpful and it's also telling us that um, the experiences to date of the people who did take part in the Sindal Pathway last year has been very positive. It also puts out the challenge that a lot of lay people are not involved in this, and as well as a lukewarm uh, response from priests. The lukewarm response from priests is twofold. One is they're very busy, and two, they, um, they don't understand enough what the sinful um, way of being church is, because it calls for a very radical change of priesthood. Yeah, and it's just a couple of things. Though that's it's very interesting, actually. The, the whole thing of saying the lukewarm reception from priests would it be the case that similar to all other walks of life, in some ways, any time there, there's a change of circumstances, if you look in the secular world, in in the workplace, for instance, that one group might perceive that the change means they're losing some of their power or status. There's a certain resistance to that. And that's right across all sections of society, I'd suggest. And just the other thing you mentioned there, uh, Roy, in terms of the passivity of, of, of the congregations, mm -hmm. did that lead to a scenario whereby it was easy to be a Catholic in this country? You, you didn't have to invest that much of yourself. Yes, and people would give a name for that. They would call that cultural Catholicism, that you went along with, um, I suppose, every, everybody um, did the same thing. You just turned up for the sacraments. And see, that's another problem with the church, is that the char church is so um, centered around sacraments. And um, to have sacraments, then you have to have priests, 
and the sacraments are very dependent on priests. And if we're inviting people to take part in a new way and becoming leaders, um, that's a very big challenge um, to move away from over-reliance on sacraments and over-reliance on priests. And um, that, that's another very big challenge for us uh, to face into. And I see, and this is the thing about Ray Brown's pastoral, it's, um, you know, on paper, it's wonderful. But the actual reality of engaging people and priests working together, this is going to be a very slow process. It's going to take a lot of change of mindsets. And as you said, there's resist, you know, you have resistance to change. And I suppose um, the Irish Church would be seen traditionally as very conservative and very much against change. There'd be a lot of people against change. However, now the, the, the research um, of this 84 pages says that many of the people who did engage, um, they want change and they, they see that change has to be the way forward. But there is resistance and um, and how to manage resistance as well. That's all part of the single pathway, how to deal with conflicts and strong personalities and how to be able to listen to them and how we can all go forward together. That all takes a lot of uh, skills, listening, good listening skills, good um, uh, facilitation skills, and then how to listen to the Holy Spirit and all of that, the whole spiritual area as well. You know, So there's a lot of challenges to Ray Brown's um, pastoral uh, to get it to work. There is, and you mentioned, and I, I, I can well see what you mean in terms of this kind of thing will take time, particularly when people all their lives and, and, and the vast, vast majority of people who are adherents to uh, Catholicism would, would have been so for all their lives when they've been schooled in a particular way. And similarly, as you say, when priests have been trained and, and, and got used to a particular way. But the other side of that, though, is um, there isn't much time to get it right because there is such a shortage of priests. Yeah, it's there's an urgency. And I suppose the only thing I can say is that this research uh, paper that was produced of 84 pages, which is, which, which is available on the Irish Sindel uh, website, um, that's huge learnings for us as we go forward, especially, the, you know, we, we have the Irish um, National Senate in 2025. We're going to have a, a national assembly. And uh, we're going to have to have a lot of people involved, as well as priests from every diocese in the country. So there's an urgency. And this National Assembly and the Irish Senate is massively welcome. I never thought I would see that day. Why did you say that, Roy? Well, <laughs> let's put it this way. Um, in the ACP, Association of Catholic Priests, we've been looking for a National Senate for the last 10 years and um, for a national assembly, we, we have always been putting forward that that was the way to go. And um, but there's been a, a huge, um, what well, was I say, um, blockage uh, among the bishops to that. And um, so that's why I say it, it's 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 miraculous that this is happening. And this is, to me, a great hope that it will bring urgency and it will bring um, the new, what Ray Brown wants in his pastoral, the new way of priests and people working together and making decisions uh, collaboratively. And that assembly you're talking about, it, would that be 
in, in short term, I suppose, a gathering together of all the priests in the country. I think maybe not all the priests. That's not possible. I think <laughs> the numbers yeah, are getting very small. But um, uh, but it will be a number of priests from every uh, probably a, a priest maybe and uh, people from every parish. I right. that's, I, I actually don't know how that we haven't we haven't heard anything about that yet the, the, because the um, international synod is completing its way in October and there is um, the whole. Synthesis that has come out from that, and the Irish bishops are, are more concerned about responding to that and being ready for October. So, in some ways, it's got in the way of the national um, um, senate and, and, and assembly. You know, it has yeah. we're not able to face into it yet. Put it that way. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Right. Now, the other issue that arises, and that's the perennial one, and uh, that is the spectre of whether priests should be allowed to marry. In fact, this week in, in the Irish Examiner, there was a letter from uh, a, a reader who uh, gave his experience. I think he um, he was a teacher in the UK for a long time before returning here, and he spoke of his experience and noticing people of various religion um, that they were allowed to marry and I think he also mentioned, I think some Anglican priests who converted to Catholicism had already been married. And, you know, it all seemed a relatively sensible idea. And I suppose he was really, he was really writing in the context of what you might call the, the, the ban on, on marriage, whatever, being another possible, um, blockage in, in, in attracting people to the priesthood. What, in terms of the association of Catholic priests, would your position be on married priests? Well, well, I mean, our position would be that, first of all, it should be um, the open to women priests as well. You know, um, it's just, I mean, I heard um, Professor Thomas O'Loughlin there. He was speaking at a liturgical day in Limerick recently. And he put forward that the success of all these meetings and synods in the future will be whether all the people gather around the table as equals. And his vision was that when we gather around the table as equals, um, we'll discover that the spirit is alive and that the various ministries that we need will come from around the table. That's the way he saw the future. So this, so that that means it doesn't matter about married priests or women priests because um, it'll be whoever's around the table and whoever has the ministries, be they married, be they lay, uh, be they um, women or men, you know. So because the change is going to be so massive, we're, we're looking at something like that, I think. And I, as I understand it, there was an attempt among the bishops at one stage, I think it might have been Bishop uh, was Leo O'Reilly who uh, attempted to discuss whether 
women priests or married priests, I'm not sure which, um, was something that should be explored or whatever, but that was completely knocked back. I mean, do you sense any appetite among the bishops for either priests being allowed to marry or for ordaining women priests? For the last well over 40 years, I've heard this debate about married priests and you get tired of it because it's never going to happen. That's the way, that's the feeling I think among a, a lot of priests would be. And for most of us, because we've gone so old now um, that it's not really an issue. It might be for the younger guys, mm. but um, um, that's why I'm I'm saying that the future is going to be very different and priesthood is going to have to be reinvented completely, in my view. And um, But would that so, form part of the reinvention? Like, for, for example, I think some people would find it difficult to understand that, no, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand Anglicans who convert to Catholicism and who are already married, that's not an issue. Yet, if you come directly into the church, you can't get married. Correct. And, you know, there's also some Ukrainian priests over here who are married. And I think there's a Ukrainian priest running uh, a parish in, in the either Klein or Cork Diocese, and I've heard some people say recently um, it's very unfair that he can operate and run a parish or co-responsible parish, he's sharing co-responsibility maybe with another priest, and that other priests don't have that choice. Um, So people on the ground see that very clearly, that, um, you know, these are changes that should be happening. But you don't sense there's any immediate prospect of it? I don't really, <laughs> and I don't, and I don't. Now, I mean, I have to be full of hope too, because um, in the Senate in October, from what I gather, everything is still on the table, including women priests, married priests, um, all the hot, what they call the hot button issues, um, that they're all still on the table, and um, so, uh, so the spirit works, and um, I'd be more hopeful now than any time over the last 45 years or so. And specifically in relation to women priests, I mean, look, there's no getting away from the fact that the church's institution was highly patriarchal. Um, Apart from the issue of uh, whether or not women priests may be ordained in the future, do you in general terms see it as less patriarchal today than going back 20, 30, 40 years? Or is that something that has persisted? And um, I, I belong, and I feel I belong to a patriarchal system, a hierarchical system. And Pope Francis has put out a few times that he wants to turn the pyramid upside down. So, um, so we're still very strong patriarchal system. The language in our liturgy is male. Um, I've heard some people say now about the pastoral, some of these pastoral letters as well. They're very clerical language. You know, they're not language that ordinary people use and um so the, the, a lot but a lot but i get to get back to the point a lot of our language in the liturgy is male orientated and um the god that we speak about is male e- exclusively and um surely um it must be very difficult uh, for a woman uh, to be in our church when the language and the images and the models, as it were, of leadership are all male. And, you know, we do know that Jesus opened up um, equality. And Paul got Jesus, he said, um, in, in Christ there is neither male nor female, uh, Jew or Greek, 
slave or free, all are free. And um, but but Jesus started off that movement, but that movement got um, eclipsed very quickly. And you know, women were told to go back into their homes again to to get out of the public space. So um, so if if we are to be faithful to the good news of Jesus Christ, we have to bring equality into the very structures, into every part of what it is to be Catholic. That has to happen. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. It's, it just occurred to me there, as you said, Jesus Christ, as we know, and irrespective of whether one um, adheres to the religion or believes in Catholicism or any form of Christianity, I think there's absolutely, historically, no doubt that he absolutely existed. And as you say, he he, he would have been very much one who was not uh, discriminating against genders or whatever. And as you said, soon after that, as the institution was formed, it became that way. It's a bit similar in some ways to the the revolution that started this state, to be honest with you, because again, women had their role and they were quickly told to get back into their box once the state settled down kind of thing. It's the way some of these things, um, the way some of these things go sometimes. And it's remarkable, isn't it, um, that... We have three uh, public holidays here in Ireland to men, uh, to uh, Jesus, uh, uh, Stephen and Patrick. And for the first time ever, we now have a public holiday to a woman, to Bridget. That's a very and, good point, um, yeah. Th- so there is hope. And and, I, and I, I have to acclaim the people, whoever inspired the government to bring in um, this holiday and to give Bridget this kind of um, acclaim and that you know that it's it's another step of uh given um I'll say given uh, acknowledgement and equality to the feminine absolutely um another thing just in terms of the logistics right that it's been a certain phenomenon and you 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 might tell me how how widespread or otherwise it is that um some dioceses have have made links with uh, dioceses in other countries, I think in particularly Indian, maybe some African countries. And out of those links, we have priests coming in here from those countries to uh, basically take up the shortfall. I mean, is that going on in a lot of places? Or is it something that can assist to any great extent in... Um well, it is. And uh, all we're doing is um, maintenance. Maintenance of a very old system mm. that's gone and that's dead. And and um, I don't see them as um, contributing to a very new system because they're coming from cultures that are very patriarchal and um, they are very traditional. And um, and also um, Irish people are very well educated. And um, are they are they able to uh, break down the gospel and link it in a very um, credible way to modern Irish people? Um, I, I just wonder about that, you know. But, but I think all we're doing is um, maintenance, keeping up a system that's over and finished with, because it's another way of not handing over power uh, to lay people and allowing lay people to exercise, um, as Ray Brown says in his pastoral, uh, co-responsible leadership. Yeah, uh, finger in the dike, I suppose, kind of thing in that respect. Um, the Association of Catholic Priests, the organisation yourselves, right? I mean, I think it would be fair to say uh, you'd consider yourselves and you'd be regarded by people who might observe it as being progressive 
within the strictures of the church. Just briefly, how did the association come about? Uh, the association came about through organising a, a meeting for priests. I think it's about nearly about 11 years ago now. There was no um, representative organisation for priests at the time. There had been one maybe um, eight or ten years prior to that. And then the bishops tried to set up a representative uh, organisation for priests, and but none of the clergy seemed to have taken that up. And so I suppose there was a lot of frustration among priests and um, people like um, Father Brendan Hoban, Tony Flannery, and, uh, and, and a, a few more um, got, uh, got together to talk about this. And then they said they'd hold um, a meeting, I think it was in Port Leash. I actually remember going to the meeting and the meeting had to be changed because so many priests came that they had to get a bigger um, hall uh, to accommodate everyone. And there was great energy, great life in it. And um, that, 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 were, that was the seed um, bed of, of the association, um, as was Tony Flannery and uh, Brendan Hoban. And um, I'm trying to think of some of the others now. Um, they were all very, um, what would I say, um, I suppose, enlightened guys and they felt that something had to be done, that, that we were going nowhere in the Irish church at, the, at that time. And how was and how is it received by the hierarchy? Um, we've had a, a lot of difficulty over the years. Um, it was very difficult to get meetings with the bishops and then the meeting with the bishops were also very controlling and we never felt we were making any progress. Um, we never felt that it was possible for us to work together in any kind of um, way that would be fruitful. And um, so I think a lot of our experiences were, were, were very difficult. They, were, they have been very difficult experiences. We've been accused too, of course, of being bishop bashing and being very uh, negative to bishops and all that. And that, that has been thrown at us. Um, but but we, we have done our best to try and be open. And um, I suppose you'd have to say that the meeting in that loan for the um, preparation for the, the International Synod there um, was the last year, the year before. And um, that meeting, we were invited to, all the bishops were there and people from representatives from all the dioceses were there. So we'd, we'd all have to say that was a very positive, that was a very good, that, that was a whole sense of we, we, we want to work together and we can work together. You know, there was, there was a great, there was a very positive vibes about that meeting. Of course, an organisation like yours would be anathema to any kind of hierarchical structure and to that extent it was inevitable there would have been a certain amount of conflict but is, do you, are there equivalent organisations for priests in other countries that you know of? Yes there are in, in America they have um, they have an association as well I think also it was the Austrians um, who, who, who really um, I suppose maybe they were the Part of the inspiration, um, I can't think of the name of the priest there. There was a very um, high up priest there in the in in that diocese, um, and he 
he he created um, an association of priests there, and they were very, um, I would say, uh, effective. And I say that's what maybe struck us and what struck the priests in Australia. And um, there's also an association in Australia, and, um, and 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 also I think there there was certainly one in in England um, as well. So after that, I'm not so sure. And um, we have had meetings with um, the Australian, oh, sorry, the Americans, and and we also have a lot of contact with the Australians as well. Uh, the wonderful thing I find about all these meetings is that, and you don't find the same thing in the diocese, is there's great openness. You can say what you like, and there's a great freedom, and there's a, there's a freedom in naming things and also putting out how how you're doing and what's going on for you um those meetings they have been very supportive and i just wonder um again looking at this research um program uh, program that has come out um and they're looking at this that a lot of priests need a lot of support a lot of priests need spaces where they can talk more openly and say how things are. Um, and a number of priests said that from the focus groups that they were in. A space was created where they could be very open and be very honest and truthful. And um, so I, I think that's going to be one of the um, re results of that program is that they're going to provide uh, support and training. I mean, some of the priests were saying they'd love to be part of supervision groups, you know, where you could get, you you could uh, review how you're working with people and how you could change and how you could adapt to a new way. So, so some of the priests were saying that it'd be great to have those kind of support structures in place as we move forward into the future. And would it be fair to say, Roy, that like the, the, the priests would be in the association? Would to a greater extent have be in touch with sentiment on the ground in terms of congregations and developments in that respect, rather than the hierarchy themselves, and and, and that your input would come from that perspective. Yeah, and and we we would have had a lot of meetings with priests um, in dioceses and um, down through the years as well. And we we would have we would heard what a lot of priests would be saying on the ground, and also we have an AGM, an open AGM every year, where um, we invite in outside speakers and um, where we have time then to reflect on ourselves, on what's going on for us, and what are the issues. Um, so so all, all that has. Um, it's been a great support uh, to to one another, and I suppose um, if if you if you're <laughs> if if you're trying to adapt to uh, <laughs> all the changes, the rapid changes that are going on in our country, the rapid changes going on in our church, um, you you do, I do anyway. We, we we need the support of one another. Oh, definitely, I can well see it, and and it's uh, I I can see it to be huge um, positivity. From that point of view, any kind of a support. I could also see, and I think you'd agree, there's no way in the world this would have happened 30 or 40 years ago. It just wouldn't have been tolerated. But thankfully, we're in a different place now. And on that team, I suppose, Roy, just to finish, are you hopeful for the way forward for the church in the image you'd like to see it? 
Well, as I said earlier on, that the idea that there's an international synod where everything is open for another year anyway, and it's going to be on the table in October. And also we have an opportunity at the moment. They want feedback. I think they're looking for feedback from every parish in Ireland to the report that came out in October. Um, so we have an opportunity to influence things and we do need to take those opportunities up. So I'm very hopeful that way. And then we have our own um, National Synod then in 25. All that should feed into the National Synod. And, um, yeah, I, I, am, I am very hopeful. I, I never thought I would see this kind of, um, what I say, in, uh, environment, open environment uh, taking place where there is more listening and where people's voices, everyone, all, all voices are going to be listened to and heard. Um, that's the way forward into the future. And that will be the future church where um, we, that the Holy Spirit is at work in everybody and that what the Holy Spirit is doing, that we, we touch that by connecting with one another. So if we, if we do that, I think there's great hope for the future. Yeah, interesting times ahead, no question about it for the church. Um, right, Donovan, thank you very much for talking to us today. You're welcome, Nick. I'd also like to thank, as always, our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you, folks, for listening. We'll be back with you again next week. Talk to you then. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.